Good morning. Uh, if you want to grab your Bibles, uh, let's open up to the book of 1 Kings, and more specifically, 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, if you remember, uh, we've recently uh, kicked off this series looking at the life of Elijah. Now, uh, don't worry if you've missed the last few weeks. Just want to start off by catching you up, really, with the story so far. It all begins with the king of Israel, uh, a guy called Ahab, uh, and his wife Jezebel, who, if you recall, have this very, very deliberate agenda to turn the hearts of the people away from God to these false prophets. And so what God does is he raises up his own prophet, this guy called Elijah, who comes along and eventually confronts the king. He says, among other things, it's not going to rain again until I ask God to cause it to rain. It's like he pronounces this huge drought. And sure enough, the heavens are closed. It doesn't rain again. And then God takes Elijah from center stage to this hidden away brook in the middle of nowhere. Every day, God sends ravens that drop food for him. But because of the lack of rain, eventually this brook that he's camped out by dries up. At which point, God redirects Elijah to a place called Zarephath, where he meets a widow who's only got enough oil and flour for one final meal. She thought she was going to die, but God miraculously multiplies her oil and flour supplies so it never runs out. But then, completely out of the blue, the widow's son tragically dies. Up until this point, the Bible has no record of anyone ever being raised from the dead. But Elijah prays. And God miraculously raises this boy from the dead. And then after three years, where there's been absolutely no rain, God summons Elijah and calls him to go and confront the king one further time. And so Elijah sets up this meeting with the king on Mount Carmel. And when he gets there, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a contest. There's this almighty showdown. He sets up two altars. He says to the prophets of Baal, come on, you you pray to your God, see if fire will come down on your altar. And all of these false prophets, they work themselves into something of a frenzy. It goes on all day long, but absolutely nothing happens. And then finally, Elijah calls on the Lord. And immediately, he sends fire from heaven. It burns everything up. Not just the sacrifice on the altar, but the altar itself, uh, even the uh, ground beneath Elijah then puts all of the false prophets to the sword before going up on a mountaintop and praying, God send rain, God send rain, God send rain. Seven times he prays and off in the distance he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand and by faith he believes that it's a storm coming and sure enough it is. It's like over and over and over and over again, over many, many years, Elijah had seen and experienced the faithfulness of God. And so at the point where we join the story today, in the final verse of chapter 18, we're told that the power of the Lord came upon Elijah And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, why on earth would he do that? 
You see, Jezreel was the capital at the time, and Elijah was a marked man. Ahab and Jezebel, they've been trying to kill him. So why in the world would Elijah go right into the capital of the nation where everyone was gunning for him? I'll tell you why. After everything that has happened, I'm guessing Elijah expected that either Ahab and Jezebel would repent and turn to God, or else the people would overthrow them and cast them out. One way or the other, the faith of the Lord would again become the faith of Israel. I'm guessing Elijah was utterly convinced of that, or else he'd never have gone to the capital. So let's see what happens next. 1 Kings 19 verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Not the message that I'm guessing Elijah was hoping or expecting to hear. It's like Elijah had done absolutely everything he could possibly do. But the nation's leaders were not the least bit shaken. They weren't even phased. They weren't even a little bit impressed. And there's certainly no evidence here of any kind of uprising from the people. There's not even anybody with a placard, a a couple of demonstrators saying, we want the Lord back. It's like nothing's changed. Nothing has happened. Elijah did everything anybody could have possibly asked for. Yet it all seems to have been for nothing. So what does Elijah do? Well, verse 3 We read, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. It's like he's in complete and utter despair. Don't forget, immediately before this, he was fearlessly confronting hundreds of false prophets and laughing in the face of all opposition. But now he's clean out of ideas. He's out of strength. He's out of miracles. He's spent. He's done everything he can do, and nothing has happened. Nothing seems to have changed, which leaves him totally confused. He really doesn't know who God is anymore. So he panics and runs for his life. Now, as we read on, we're going to find Elijah descending into this pretty deep depression. And really it's this that I want to focus on for the remainder of this talk. First of all, I want us to learn from how Elijah ended up depressed. And secondly, we're going to see God's prescription for his depression. Let's pick it up in the second half of verse 3. Elijah went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. 
Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Before we get into this, I just want to pray and invite God to come and speak to us and minister to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it feels like we're going to be talking about some deep stuff today. Recognize this is not an easy subject, but I thank you that you don't duck the difficult issues. Thank you, you speak right into the heart of them. And I want to invite you now by your Holy Spirit to come and speak to our hearts, to speak to our minds, to speak to us where we're at. I want to pray that you would come and minister deeply to us. I want to pray that you would speak words that bring life and bring hope. I want to pray today that it would be like you shining light into the hearts of some of our darkness. I want to pray that you would be the lifter of our heads. Help us to see things from your perspective. Father, I want to pray you send your spirit to me. Help me to communicate clearly and effectively. But more than that, through that, would you come and speak to us? Would you speak the words of life, the words that we need to hear? Amen. Amen. First of all then, I want to show you four steps to depression. If you like, how do you get depressed in four easy steps? This is going to be a great one, I tell you. I mean, I can see you. Yes, I'm so glad I came today. Well, uh, if you watched the football last night, you're here already. You're ready for this one. Basically, if you want to end up depressed, you need to do what Elijah did. Number one, wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. Let's not miss the fact, over the past few years, Elijah has been in this pretty fierce, intense spiritual battle. He's been trusting God, praying, trusting God, praying, trusting God some more. It's like battle, faith, battle, faith, battle, faith. And in the end, perhaps not surprisingly, it all gets just too much for him. And so he runs for his life. And geographically, he couldn't really have run any further than he did. He runs to the southernmost tip of the nation where he leaves his servant and runs yet another day's journey right out into the desert. It's as though he went as far as he could before finally collapsing in sheer exhaustion. Now, perhaps you can relate with this. Maybe you wonder, why am I feeling depressed? Well, maybe you've worn yourself out. It's like you are absolutely exhausted. Some of you, you're facing unbelievable pressure where you work, and you're juggling that perhaps with trying to be a good husband or a good wife or a good parent while being a governor at the local school, while training for a marathon and completely renovating your house in your spare time. And you're going, why on earth am I feeling so depressed? You are perhaps wearing yourself out. Some of you, it's not just the physical exertion, but it's all up here. It's like, I've got to be there for them. 
got to be strong for everybody. I've got to be the provider. I've got to keep giving out. I've got to work it all out myself. And I can't let on that I'm really struggling right now. And it's all this stuff going off in here. You can't switch it off. When you try and sleep at night, it all comes flooding into your mind. You, you, You don't get any rest. It feels like you are mentally exhausted. If you want to get depressed... Step number one is to wear yourself out. Step number two is to shut people out. Again, that's exactly what Elijah did. Notice how he abandoned his only companion. He said to his servant, you stay here, I'm going to go on alone. And quite honestly, I think that's what a lot of us do when we start to feel overwhelmed. It's like, I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going through. Because if I did, you wouldn't understand anyway. And so we put up the walls and we start to push people away. Now, I hate to say it, but that's what I have a tendency to do when I'm worn out, when I'm hurting inside. It's like I'm tempted just to to put the wall up. I mean, I'm going to deal with this myself. Head down, I'm going to push through it. And even if I can't, I don't want anyone to know. You want to get depressed? Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Number three, focus on the negative. Which is is exactly what Elijah, the man of God, the hero of great faith, ended up doing. He says, I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. What's funny is, Nobody was asking if he was. But in his mind, this self-pity started to take root and take over. And what self-pity tends to do is it exaggerates. I'm never going to be any good. I'm always going to be stuck in this life. My life's never going to get any better. My marriage is never going to improve. I'm never going to get the grades I need. I'm never going to get that promotion. My kids are never going to sleep through the night. None of my friends are ever going to come to Christ. You know, it's just exaggerating the negative. It's all the bad things and none of the good things. You want to get depressed? Well, here it is right here in Scripture. You just wear yourself out. You shut others out. You focus on the negative. And then the fourth thing you need to do if you want to get really depressed is you need to forget God. Just remember all that we saw God do in the life of Elijah. Supernatural protection and provision birds feeding him, water from a brook during the drought, raising the dead, fire falling from heaven. And then he's saying, God, you're not going to come through for me. I mean, it seems crazy. But isn't that what we often do? I mean, I can look back at all the faithfulness of God in my life. He was there he provided, he comforted, he was a strength to me, he was everything I needed. And yet in this moment, when I'm depressed, when I'm down, when I'm in a dark place, I so easily forget the faithfulness of God. So there you have it. 
how to get depressed in four easy steps. Wear yourself out, shut people out, focus on the negative, and forget God. Now, you'll be hopefully relieved here. We're not going to end it there and move back into worship because there is an answer. I want us to talk about the answer because this is highly relevant to any number of us today. Maybe you're feeling a little down. Maybe you're in full-blown depression. Maybe you're in a place of hopelessness. It feels pretty dark for you right now. And part of the darkness is just not seeing any chink of light, feeling like you're going to be trapped in this situation endlessly. And the good news is God wants to speak to you today. Because as we read on, what we're going to find is God's prescription for Elijah's depression and for ours. Here we have Elijah. It's like he's lost all hope. He's hiding out, wanting to die. And so God sends an angel to help him. Second half of verse 5, but as Elijah was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. I want you to notice, first of all, what God doesn't do through this angel. Does the angel come and say, fear not? No. Does the angel come and say, I bring you good tidings? No. Does the angel say, repent, pull yourself together, man? Not a bit of that. Does the angel even say, do you want to talk about it? No. What's the first thing the angel does for Elijah? He feeds him. All the angel the Lord does is touch him and give him something to eat. Now, what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is God isn't like an awful lot of Christians, fortunately. A lot of Christians who immediately assume that if you're depressed or you're despondent, you're in a dark place, it must first of all be a spiritual problem. Many Christians, what they will do with somebody who is despondent is they will say, well, you need to pray because this is a lack of faith. Or they'll go down their troubleshooting list. They'll say, okay, have you confessed all known sin? Have you thoroughly repented of everything? Have you claimed the promises of God? Have you rebuked the devil? They'll keep on going until they find a spiritual explanation for your condition. What this story shows is that Elijah lives in a physical world and has a physical nature. Sometimes, now this might seem borderline heretical to some of you, but sometimes you don't just need prayer. You certainly don't need a lecture or a rebuke. A lot of the time, you don't even need a sermon. The very, the very, First part of the prescription for our depression, according to God, is eat and rest. Some of you, the most spiritual thing that you can do is have some food and get some rest. In fact, Perhaps one of the most disobeyed commands of God in the world that we live in is people just don't rest. If you recall one of the Ten Commandments, it was so important to God, he put it in stone, is to remember 
the Sabbath. To have one day every week when you don't do any work. This is God's gracious provision to us. He knows how we're made. He knows how we're wired. He cares enough to say, take rest. And yet we have a tendency, don't we, to just shake it off like it's irrelevant. Perhaps the most spiritual thing some of you can do is rest. And I know that there'll be a kickback, even now as I say those words. Some of you are thinking, because I'm probably thinking the same thing, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. There's this deadline looming. He just doesn't understand, it's completely unrealistic. And I believe God would say to you, kids, lock in on this one, remember this, quote it later. I believe God would say to you, it's okay to take a day off from your homework every week. It's okay to take a day off from your study. It's okay to take a day off from your lesson planning. It doesn't matter if you don't check your emails for an entire day. It doesn't matter if the clothes are dirty. It doesn't matter if the house isn't clean. It doesn't matter if the lawn doesn't get mown. Yeah, a few things may get undone, go undone. But perhaps the most important thing, the most spiritual thing you could do, is rest. The angel of the Lord provides food, And let's Elijah take a nap. Let's read on, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough, notice this strength, to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. I don't think it's any coincidence that this is the same mountain where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. God's prescription for depression, eat and rest, and then go to the place where you know you will experience God. And in that place, the second thing that God does with Elijah, if you look carefully, is he listens. In verse 9 and again in verse 13, God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Just to say, whenever God asks a question, it's never ever to get information for himself. I mean, can you imagine? Is this God saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? What happened? You look awful. What's going on? Now, when God asks you a question, it's never to give him information. It's very often to give you information. He actually asked the question twice. And if you look carefully, you'll see for a long time, all God does is listen. I mean, most of this passage, all we're getting is listening to Elijah. Now, Elijah, admittedly, makes some pretty daft mistakes. Going to come on to that in a second or two. He says, I've been very zealous. In other words, my program was perfect. What's wrong with you, God? And he says, no one is left but me. We see some mistakes here. This is a long time before we finally get to it because we also have a psychological nature. And sometimes we do need to talk. We just need to pour out our hearts. We need to have someone who will listen. I believe today God would invite you to pour out your heart to him. 
to not hold back, to not mind your P's and your Q's, to, to, to let it out and keep on going. God would ask you, what's going on in your life? What are you doing here? He wants to hear from you. He's available for you. Well, you see how holistically God treats Elijah's depression. He recognizes he's a physical being, so God gives him food and rest. He recognizes he's a psychological, a relational being, and so God simply listens, doesn't keep butting in, and he's also a spiritual being. And so eventually the third thing God does is he says, you need to spend time with my word. You need to hear my voice. You need to listen to me. Because we do also have a spiritual nature. And so thirdly, God speaks. There are three things I want you to notice about the way in which God speaks here. First of all, it's almost as though he's replacing Elijah's lies with truth. Verse 9, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, we've just seen, haven't we, how God already knew what Elijah was doing there. He's not doing a bit of investigative work on the side to solve his own curiosity. No, God already knows. Really, what I think God wanted Elijah to do was to voice his problem so he could reveal, so he could highlight, so he could expose whatever lies he was believing Let's listen to Elijah's response. Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. It's as though his whole view of reality has been twisted by fear. Israel might have broken their covenant with God, but just a few days before this, on Mount Carmel, if you remember, God had gloriously reinstated it, and the people all cried out together, God, he is Lord. He is the Lord. The altars to God, they might have been ripped down. But remember, on Mount Carmel, Elijah himself, just a few days before this, had rebuilt one in the most dramatic of circumstances. Admittedly, a number of God's prophets have been killed. Let's not brush over that. It would have been devastating, tragic. And yet in the previous chapter, Obadiah had told Elijah to his face how he had saved a hundred of them. And on top of all of that, Elijah has just put all of Baal's prophets to the sword. It's as though his depression has played tricks with his memory. It's as though he just can't see things clearly anymore. He can't sift reality from unreality. You know, so many of us are way too quick to believe the lies. My life's never going to get any better. Never going to have an intimate relationship. I'm always destined to feel alone. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I've got no real ministry. I I can't make any difference. My marriage could never be healed. My husband's never going to believe in Christ. God has never been there for me. No one in this church understands. Nobody cares. I'm different from everyone else. Where are you 
right now? Where are you? I think some of you, if you answered that question, you might find yourself speaking a lie. I'm always going to be depressed. It's always going to be like this. Maybe God might take that and say, well, actually, that's not the whole truth. There are people who care about you. Elijah's about to discover from God, actually, there are 7,000 people. I can't promise 7,000 people for you, but there are people who care for you. Over above that, God says to you, I care deeply about you. There's a Holy Spirit who will come alongside you and comfort you and strengthen you. Please, don't believe the lies. That's the first thing. Replace the lies that you're believing, the truth of God's Word. Notice this also about the way God speaks. Secondly, God speaks in a whisper. Verse 11, God says to him, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. You know, sometimes when we are at our very lowest, God seems to speak the softest. Ever notice that? Sometimes it's just a word may not seem very much, may not be particularly loud, but it is always exactly enough. A gentle whisper, not the booming sign that God is capable of doing, but just his voice. It's God's way of saying that he works in quiet ways as well as in dramatic ways. The question is, Will you take time out from the noise of everyday life to put yourself intentionally in the place to hear God? And even then, will you miss what he's saying and what he's doing because you're only ever looking for the dramatic lightning bolt from heaven? Now, I know there are people listening to this right now, hopefully. (laughs) A few of you. And you're hurting. And I don't feel a whole lot of confidence in you taking anything from my words in and of themselves. But I do know that through my words and between my words and maybe behind my words, God can and will speak to you. If you listen closely enough, you may just hear that still small voice I'm here. I am with you. I will never leave you. You aren't alone. I am enough. The gentle whisper of God. 
And the third thing, I want you to notice about the way God speaks. Finally, after all of this, he gives Elijah something to do. Verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. In other words, go back to doing what prophets do. And I believe the Lord will speak to many of you today and simply say, there is yet something for you to do. Maybe you feel down. That's worse than that, you feel hopeless, you, you feel afraid, you're, you're unsure, you, you, you've lost your confidence, you've lost your edge. It's like you don't see what good could possibly come from your situation. And God would say to you, if you are still alive, you are not done. Listen, if you're still here, if you still have a pulse, it's because God still has something for you to do. Go back to doing what prophets do. You may say, well, I'm not a prophet. Well, what are you then? If you're a mum, go back to doing what mums do and see it as God's call on your life. You're a business person. Go back to doing what a business person does with a fresh sense of faith that God has placed you where you work. Are you a person of prayer or persevere? Keep going. Don't stop praying. Have the gift of serving. Or go back and serve with fresh energy. Have the gift of giving. Well, receive faith from God and go and give some more. Go back and do what God has called you to do. And watch as He restores to you what you fear you've lost. As I wrap this up, I know that there are a number of people that God has brought here today. And maybe you're about as low as you can get. It was a struggle just to come today. Maybe like Elijah, it feels like life has been incredibly cruel to you. Now, in all of this talk, I don't want to be insensitive. I mean, I speak about how to get depressed in four easy steps. You think it's not easy. I don't want to be glib or blasé about it. I recognize this subject is way more complex than I've been able to unpack today. But don't let that distract you from what God is saying to you. So we draw to a close, I want to urge you, won't you look up from your situation? Won't you look up and when you see Jesus? See this passage in Hebrews 4, Speaking of Jesus, it says, This high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet was without sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. My appeal to you would simply be look up, and won't you see Jesus? Others of you, maybe you're like Elijah a few weeks back on Mount Carmel. 
Maybe you have had the greatest victory ever. You're making money, you've got the house, you've got the relationship, you've got all the things you thought you'd want that would make you happy. And you realize deep down, I've got all this stuff and I'm still not happy. You've had the victory and yet you are still depressed. Now why is that? I suggest it's because the things of this world do not ultimately satisfy. And right now God wants to reveal himself to you, again through his son Jesus, and show you there is nothing else and no one else in this world that brings life like him. There's nothing else in this world that satisfies like him. Some of you are so low, got nowhere else to look but up. Look up to Christ. Others of you, it feels like you're on the top of the world and you're still empty. My advice is the same to you. Look up to Christ.